Siri, play Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Okay, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast coming up. Thank you. Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 138. Big Al Morse, killing coyotes, thinning the pack, helping the deer herd, and Fox Pro. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors today are Morris's Sporting Goods and the Eurohanger. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey guys, it's Jim Caesar, owner of Swamp Bottom Media. Get ready for another amazing podcast with Jay and Dustin on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Joel Maxfield from Matthews, Inc. And you're listening to my favorite podcast on the internet, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, this is Adam Lewis from Sound Barrier, and you're about to listen to the most awesome podcast on the planet, Jay and Dusty on Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Guess what, Dusty? We're not talking deer this time. We're talking coyotes. I was really talking about being sick, Jay. I'm good. It's been a rough week, brother. You're sick being sick, is what I heard. Yeah, I'm, I'm over being sick. Being sick sucks. How about that? <laughs> I'm going to write, write that down. Hold on one second. <laughs> Perfect. No, that was really good. No, I'm glad you're feeling better. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the getting inside in close quarters with other people at this time of year it just seems to be when that, that flu-like virus goes around. So if you've had it, I hope you feel better. I know you're feeling better, Dusty, and you know what? I'm I'm feeling pretty darn good about this show today. That's what I'm feeling good about. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, after everybody listens to this show, is going to feel pretty darn good about what they can do as far as predator control. Who we got on today, Jay? All right, so we've I went out and I found Big Al Morris from Fox Pro because we both have gone coyote hunting. Um, you've killed coyotes during turkey season and deer season. Your daughter killed a coyote this past year and i would gladly shoot a coyote and i've shot at them i've missed them um and, but not when i was hunting them that's the weird part when i go out and i hunt them i hear them howling about you know exactly at the opposite spot that i think i should be so i i reached out to al for myself for everybody who's listening to the show every deer hunter i know all of our fans on facebook all of our hardcore listeners on on itunes this is for you guys and gals who are wanting to coyote hunt or people who coyote hunt now but want to get better at it. I went and found Al. He's a, a coyote hunting expert, and he blew my mind during this interview because he, he knows so much. It's actually prompted a part two. I don't know when that's going to be yet, but it's going to come. So Al is a, a, he's a national coyote calling champion. He's a great coyote hunter. He has a TV show, but he's he works for Fox Pro, and that's one of the best places that I am aware of, according to all my friends who actually kill coyotes. That's probably the best call you can get on the market. And we're not promoting them. This this is not a, an arrangement. We're just talking from people that I know. Right. I'm, I'm hearing great things about the Fox Pro as far as uh, 
you know, the sound quality and the durability of the units. And, uh, you know, not only are they focusing on a cheaper unit, but they have a higher end unit. And I hear that they're, uh, it doesn't matter which unit you buy, it's uh, going to be successful out there. So right. before we get to that, Jay, let's get to Jim Keller with the Deer News, brought to you by the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck. Get yourself a Eurohanger. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, QDMA says poaching penalties should be tougher. This article comes from the Quality Deer Management Association's 2015 Whitetail Report. Is still very relevant and is a nice lead into our next story. As part of the QDMA's 2015 report, they surveyed state wildlife agencies to gather information on minimum fines for poaching white-tailed deer. What they found were that fines in the various states are all over the board. Although somewhat subjective, the fine for poaching white-tailed deer seem well below the value of such an animal to a legal ethical hunter. In some cases, minimum fines were actually cheaper than the actual license for legally hunting the animal. Some states define ranges of fines that are court-determined, while others include add-on fees like court costs, jail time, and compounding fines for multiple offenses. Other states have different fines for bucks versus does, while others base it on the trophy value of the deer poached. The QDMA determined that the national average for poaching a whitetail is $350 with a $0 to $1,500 range. The bottom line is that whitetail hunting is a large part of the foundation for the hunting industry, which is quickly approaching $100 billion annually. Whether at a state or national level, there is room for improvement on the fines and other penalties related to poaching. For more information, including fine and penalties for the states that responded to the QDMA survey, please visit the QDMA website at www.qdma.com. Missouri introduces legislation to increase poaching-related fines. The Missouri legislators have drafted House Bill Number 1971 that would provide increased and specific fines for poaching based on the type of animal poached. This bill was open to public comment this past week, and there was some activity to try to stop this bill from becoming law. The bill suggests that in addition to the existing penalties for poaching, that the following restitution also be made for the following animals. $750 for each wild turkey, $1,500 for each white-tailed deer, $3,500 for each black bear or elk. The revenue collected from these fines is to be added to the state school monies fund and distributed to the Missouri public schools. In the context of our previous story, this bill sounds like a step in the right direction for Missouri. In the QDMA 2015 report, Missouri had the lowest minimum fines for whitetail poaching in the Midwest. If you live in Missouri and agree that this is a step in the right direction, please contact your state representative and express your support for this bill. And special thanks to Dan Applebottom of Missouri, who brought this story to our attention. Farmers and hunters feeding the hungry receive significant grant in Indiana. Farmers and hunters feeding the hungry in Indiana have received a $25,000 grant from the Walmart Foundation's state giving program. The grant will enable the FHFH to provide donated deer and livestock to feeding programs and ministries that serve the needy in the state of Indiana. The FHFH gives hunters and farmers the opportunity to donate deer and livestock to over 29 participating butchers who process the meat and distribute it to food banks, shelters, soup kitchens, and ministries that feed the hungry. The FHFH works to raise money that pays for the processing of this meat. There are currently 13 local chapters in the state of Indiana. The Walmart Foundation State Giving Program supports organizations that create opportunities so people can lead better lives. For more information, including how you you can apply for grants through the Walmart State Giving Program, please check out Alan Clemens' February 2nd article on www.deerandeerhunting.com. 
Popularity of shed hunting leads to restrictions. The increasing popularity of shed hunting, as well as the shrinking range and habitat to hunt them in, has led some Colorado counties to create restrictions. Eastern Garfield County, as well as portions of Eagle, Pitkin, and Route counties, have implemented restrictions. These restrictions are an effort to manage the additional stress put on the animals in the shrinking winter ranges due to the increased pressure created by human presence. The restrictions are not new to Colorado. They were first implemented in Gunnison around 2008. In January 2015, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission agreed to extend the restrictions to the Glenwood Springs area. The restrictions only allow shed hunting between March 15th and May 15th between the hours of 10 a.m. and sunset. The penalty for shed hunting outside the restrictions can result in a $70 fine and five points against hunting and fishing privileges. For the sake of comparison, a person caught purposely harassing wildlife in general would face a $140 fine and 10 points. The CPW officials stated their goal is not to write tickets, but to instead minimize the stress on the wildlife during the stressful winter season. Typically, only one or two tickets per year are issued. For the full article, please check the Glenwood Springs and Rifle Colorado Post Independent Citizen Telegram at www.postindependent.com. Wisconsin hunters can now wear pink instead of orange. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker has signed a bill allowing hunters to wear fluorescent pink instead of the traditional blaze orange. To legally hunt deer in Wisconsin, a hunter previously had to have at least half their clothing be orange in color above their waist. They can now also wear pink. The bill's author said one reason for the change is to possibly attract more women to hunting. Some women hunters call the change sexist. The Assembly passed the measure in November and the Senate approved it in January. The governor signed the bill into law on Thursday, February 4th. For the full story, please visit the WMTV Channel 15 website at www.nbc15.com. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim with the Deer News, and thanks to our sponsor, the Eurohanger. Let's get on with the show and get Big Al Morris on from Fox Pro, and let's learn a lot, I mean a lot, about coyote hunting. Let's do it, Jay. Big Al Morse, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you? It's good, it's good to uh, be talking to you, boys. Yeah, we're, we're psyched to have you, man. It's, uh, you know, we, we've, we have this in the back of our head that we need to do more coyote hunting and that it's important to the population of the deer herd around you. And uh, we, we haven't touched on this ever, actually, on the Big Buck Podcast, but we think it's an integral part of deer hunting is also coyote hunting. So we thought of no other person that would be better to get on this show with us than, than Al from Fox Pro. So thanks for joining us, man. Hey, it's good to, it's good to join you. And, and there's nothing more important. If, you, if you're going to manage for big deer, the number one thing you need to do for your deer area is hunt coyotes. I mean, if you want more turkeys, more quail, more pheasants, more deer, you've got to hunt, hunt coyotes in your areas. And, and we can talk about the biology of that. Definitely want to get into that. First, I'd like to learn a little bit about you, Al. Where are you from? You know, I, I hail from Springville, Utah, and uh, born and raised in Utah. Um, got into, I shot my first coyote when I was 12. My dad uh, raised and raised quarter horses, so we had to go buy some hay one day. And my dad, to save money, we'd go pick the hay up out of the field. And, you know, it's funny when you show up and, and your dad's got the trailer hooked up in the truck and you can see he's already made a load of hay. And as a 12-year-old, you're kind of kicking rocks trying to postpone the inevitable and I hear the 
go get your boots, get your shafts, we're going to go haul hay. But by the way, there was a coyote in the hay field when I left, so grab that Winchester, Model 88 Winchester. <laughs> grab some bullets, we'll take it along. Will you tell a 12-year-old to grab a Winchester? It's on. It's on, I don't even man. remember. Yeah, I, I didn't even it's remember the trip open. down there. And to make, to make a long story short, I killed my first coyote when I was 12, and I've been ate up with it ever since. And I was lucky enough in 97 to win my first World Coyote Calling Championship, the first one I ever entered. Um, thought I'd win it every year from that point on. Took me 11 years to win my second World Championship, and then we back-to-back it the very next year in 08. Wow. To win our third, me and Garvin Young, my coyote hunting partner, we just completed our 19th year of hunting the World Championship together. And okay. uh, we finished... 16 of the 19 years we finished in the top 10 of wow. that contest. This year we took fifth out of 67 teams. So. Tell us more about that contest. What is that and how hard is it to win? Well, it's just one of those deals. It's a traveling contest. It's usually two years in Elko, two years in Arizona, two years in Colorado, two years in New Mexico. It travels throughout the western United States. The prerequisite for this contest is uh, 3 million public acres within a three-hour drive of check-in. So that's why we hold it out west. It's public acres. You don't need private land to hunt it. And uh, it's really hard. you got to be pretty lucky to win it more than once. And, and uh, there's only one, two, three. There's only four two-time world champs, and me and Garvin are the only three-time world champs. It's hard to win. Wow. And uh, it's just, you know, I've learned so much by being a contest caller. Uh, I've learned so much. And then uh, traveling the country and hunting for Fox Pro fur takers. Last year I hunted from Vermont to California, Texas to Alberta. And uh, I've really learned some some techniques and really learned some things about coyotes that I otherwise wouldn't learn. And, and I've just re- I really enjoy what I do, and, and that's putting the hammer down on coyotes. I want to get into all those details, all the things that you've learned traveling around. That sounds like a some exactly the kind of thing we're trying to pick up on this this show. You know, we 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 make a, a career out of dissecting world class deer hunters, but this time we want to dissect the the habits and and uh, idiosyncrasies of a world class coyote hunter. So I think we got the guy. That's great, man. <laughs> well, and, and to, to start things off with you, um, you know, to have world class deer. Um, you've got to have those fawns born and, and they've got to have good genetics and all that, but they've got to survive that first year of life. And, uh, there's some research out of Nebraska. They're doing some research here in Utah, but this Nebraska research was, uh, he did three years worth of, they'd put an intrauteral device when the, when the doe would have her fawns, uh, those fawns would hit the ground and they would know within five minutes of when she had, when she birthed those, uh, uh, fawns and they would go radio telemetry and collar them right then. And uh, in a three-year stretch, the first year he did it, um, he radio collared a, a buck fawn and a doe fawn. And uh, watched them three weeks later, a pair of coyotes come up there, jumped both fawns. Um, one coyote took after one fawn, one coyote took after the other. He heard some yips, some high-pitched yips. And uh, the one coyote quit chasing the doe fawn and went over and killed the buck fawn with the other coyote. Of course, packed it off and fed their coyote pups with it. And, he, you know, they did a mortality study in 80% of the fawns that are getting killed by coyotes are the buck fawns, the, the very the very animal that you as trophy uh, deer growers want to want to promote. You want to save your fawns, or you you want to save your buck fawns in particular, and they're the ones getting hammered by coyotes. Uh, two years later, he did the same thing: a buck and a doe fawn. Um, radio collared them uh, as soon as they were born. Um, watched both fawns stand up. When the doe fawn peed, she peed out of her bed. When the buck fawn pees, he pees right in his bed. He honestly thinks it's a urine trace. Uh, you know, they're virtually uh, unsmellable. You know, they have no odor that first two weeks of life. But he thinks when they pee, there's got to be some kind of odor in there that those coyotes are keying on, and that's why they're they're picking on our buck fawns. And so that 
reason alone, I don't care who you are, especially the people listening to this podcast, the number one thing they need to do is get out there and hammer these coyotes in the areas that they're trying to promote this buck growth. Because if you don't, 80%, if that, and if they only get two or three a year, that could potentially, those two or three buck fawns that they kill on your place could be that buck that you're trying to grow in, in five, six, seven years that'll turn into that 200 plus inch giant. And so I've always just, and I've watched it out there when I managed a ranch 40 miles north of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I was out there uh, um, managing Three Forks Ranch USA for a bunch of years there. I thought I'd be an elk guide my whole life. And then the hunter specialties crew came and hunted elk with me and offered me a full-time job killing coyotes. I said, are you nuts? This is awesome. And out there at Three Forks Ranch, I watched those, you know, I watched those coyotes uh, uh, decimate some of my mule deer herd, and uh, I took it upon myself. It was a five-year journey. I learned that uh, I killed uh, 88 coyotes in one year out there on Three Forks Ranch. The next year, I only could kill 20. I couldn't find very many coyotes. I'd hammered them. But the following, uh, the fourth and fifth year, that program, man, they were having 12 to, you know, coyotes are really... Uh, amazing animals. They usually have four to six pups per litter. Uh, if you hammer on them, they can have 12 to 16 pups per litter. Wow. And the other thing that people need to understand is if you have 100 coyotes on your place, or let's say there's 100 coyotes in the area that you want to grow your deer, you can kill 75 of those 100 coyotes, and the 25 coyotes that are in that area left will get you back to 100 in one pup crop. So Whoa. it is a renewable resource. It is amazing how a coyote can respond to low densities, high food concentrations. It's why coyotes are growing. I honestly think the number one growing sport in America is coyote hunting, and the guys that are growing deer need to be coyote hunting. So wow, that's uh, that's intense. I, I had no idea that they were able to repopulate simply by uh, throwing some kind of biological factor in there, which is eliminating a bunch of them. That's nuts. I had no idea about that. No, they'll self-regulate. Coyotes will self-regulate yeah. typically, but uh, if you start, uh, uh, once that once that cycle starts and you start killing them and there's lots of food and not very many adults, uh, those females will trigger to have high uh, pup crops, and those high pup crops turn into coyotes that are eating your deer. Gotcha. All right. Al, is there a I mean, we know it's open all year round, but is there more or less a season that you should be doing this, or should we be killing coyotes no, all year? 24-7-365. If it's legal, there are a couple states, like I think Arkansas has a season. I mean, I really, I don't I don't even understand how game managers could have a, a season on coyotes, but some states do. But uh, uh, outside of that, if there is no seasons, I mean, the best time to do control work is when they have pups. Um, you can really, uh, uh, I have decoy dogs, um, that, uh, we just did an episode in Kansas a couple of weeks ago on fur takers. Um, but I have learned that it's a 365 day a year and, and, I, and you don't need to hammer them. You just need to kill your five, six, 10 coyotes a year. You don't want to kill them all cause you don't want to trigger them to have those massive, uh, uh pup crops. You just want them to. You just want to regulate some of the coyotes that are doing the damage, and you want to find your deer killers. You want to find those coyotes that are hunting those beds where the, those fawn or those does like to have their fawns, and those are the coyotes you want to take out of the population. Okay, all right. So we've established that that hunting coyotes is essential to the growth of the deer herd, especially the big bucks, because they they tend to zone in on bucks somehow. They we don't know exactly how it's all laid out, but the studies tend to lean towards that. The, so I just want to jump back real quick. You're you're a champion coyote caller, and yes, sir. Could you describe the calling that you're doing there? And, and it's it sounds like it's all vocalization with a uh, probably a device of some sort. Can you kind of break that down for us? Well, it, you know, 
it depends on time of year. I break coyote hunting into three seasons. I have my spring, summer season. I have my fall. And that spring, summer season is usually uh, April through August 15th. August 15th to December 15th is my fall season. And then I have breeding season for coyotes, which is December 15th through March 15th. And, of course, we're smack dab. Here we are fe- uh, mid to late February. We're right. Uh, all coyotes breed February 15th. Um, typically on the world championship it has always been held the first Friday and Saturday in December. So I'm still in my fall pattern in my fall pattern. I primarily use prey distress sounds. Now I, the whole coyotes, uh, cycle is based on that, uh, time period of February 15th when they breed. Now I don't care whether it's old Mexico or Northern Canada. Uh, most coyotes breed, uh, the first two weeks of February. Now, I was up in Canada two years ago, and I saw them breeding the end of mid to end of January. And I've seen it um, in, here in Utah and other places out west. I've seen them breed as late as into March, you know, first week of March, second week of March. But it's a 62-day gestation period, just like a dog. Those pups, they don't open their eyes for the first 13 days. They don't poke out of that den the first 30. The next 30 days, they'll poke around the opening of the den. My mom and dad go into hyperdrive to feed them. And that's when a lot of predation occurs. So if those pups, if they breed February 15th, they hit the ground the last week of April, first week of May. And, uh, you know, those most of your fawns are hitting the ground, what, June 15th? Right. You know, if, if the breeding occurs, you know, most places... And I realize it's seasonal, and, or I mean it's regional, that, you know, like in the Midwest, those uh, the first week of November is probably when those big bucks are rutting the, the hardest, you know. And then there's places in Texas where they don't really rut till you know, December, in, 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 down in Mexico, even into January. Um, so those those uh, fawns aren't being born till later, of course. But you know, if you typically uh, breed that first week of November for a whitetail, they're going to hit the ground June fifteenth, that first week of June to the fifteenth of June, and that is when those coyotes have the most mouths to feed all year long. They've got those pups in the den, and they are going to feed them. And uh, so typically, uh, the World Championship is in December. I'm primarily using prey distress sounds, the rabbit distress, the bird distress. Um, I still will use vocalizations. But as I transition uh, December into January, I, I'll switch over and use primarily vocalizations and, and prey distress. Now, this last week, I was down in southern Arizona in Tucson, and we primarily did prey distress okay. down there. The, the vocalizations weren't working. They should have been breeding. We should have been able to use vocalizations. There's no set standard. There's no set sound. Um, what I have learned through the years, uh, going, I went full-time for Fox Pro five and a half years ago, and I found that with a diaphragm, call and with a fox pro game call i can push a button and use a diaphragm call there isn't a coyote walking this planet we can't call in wow okay and, and the, the the way you're making these calls are you using a, a device like you would a like a turkey call or something like that to assist you with the calls or is this all from your your, your mouth and, and vocal cords no we're you know the company i work for fox pro is the they make the high-end electronic game calls we yep. And we're made right here in the United States of America in Lewistown, PA. Uh, all the other electronic game calls made in the market, Flextone, Primos, Hunter Specialties, all those guys bring it from China. And there's nothing wrong with bringing a game call from China, but a Chinese person put it together, and, and, and a Fox Pro was made right here in Lewistown, PA. We've got yes. the molding going in New York and Iowa. We're bringing American jobs back home. And, and that's why when you buy a Fox Pro, it's awesome. And not only when you buy a Fox Pro do you get an American-made caller, 
but we have some of the best sounds, the best library of sounds, not only, and they're, they're real animal sounds. We have real coyotes on our howls. Uh, when you play coyote group, Yip Howl, it is a group of coyotes and actual coyotes, and you're using real sounds. And when, when you play lightning jack, that was a real jackrabbit. Now, Peter would have a fit, wouldn't they, if they knew we had those rabbits by the ears in front of a microphone on top of me, baby. <laughs> yeah, they would. And, <laughs> and not all the rabbits were harmed, in, in not all the fawns. We've got real fawn deer bawling. We've got, uh, uh, I have a, a sound that I recorded called Angry Badger. And if you guys would have had that on video, me uh, <laughs> keeping that speaker six inches from a badger's face without him eating me, you would have made $100,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos. There's nothing like a 300-pound oh, yeah. dodge, dodge oh, a badger. That's a viral but, video uh, right there, man. Right there. Yeah, we could have been famous. But, uh, no, the, the, the sounds off the Fox Pro were real sounds, and then I augment those sounds. The diaphragm I use is much like a turkey uh, diaphragm that uh, you know Ben, ben Rogers-Lee started that with a yeah. piece of lead and, and a and latex, and, and he made diaphragms, and now we have diaphragms specifically for uh, predators, coyotes in particular. And I've just learned with the Fox Pro game calling that diaphragm, there isn't a coyote walking that we can't call in. Now, sometimes they don't respond, but most of the time we're getting responses from these, these predators. Okay, got it. Well, I wanted to get into like a setup for the beginner, if we could. Before, okay. let's, before we go there, Jay, let, let's yeah. get into something he mentioned there a minute ago. Kind of backtrack. Sure. You mentioned a focus on your fawn killing coyotes. What's the method to distinguish your fawn killers, Al? Well, those are the coyotes that are hunting the deer. Those are the coyotes you see, you know, you'll know where your deer are feeding. And uh, out there at Three Forks Ranch, I knew where my does would like to have their fawns, up on the ridges, um, kind of away from the, you know, just not normal places, but it would be more open. They'd be able to drop those fawns out in those, those pasture areas, off the, just off the ridges, and I would see those coyotes hunting, and you see the black bears that are on the fawn crop too. They'll hunt those areas because the years past they've jumped those fawns in those areas, and they know when those does. Uh, you can tell when a doe drops her fawn. She's big, big as a barn, and then the next day she's skinny and and uh, reclusive, and, and and those coyotes will hunt those areas. So find those areas. A good manager, a good whitetail manager, will know where his does are having fawns on his property. And if you will hunt those coyotes that are hunting those fawning areas, those are be your trouble coyotes. I guarantee it every time. They've had success killing fawns before. Uh, once they're fawn killers, they'll they'll always remember that, that they fed their pups with fawns. And, 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 and then there's those deer, or there's those uh, coyotes that they can kill mature deer just as easy as they can kill a fawn. And uh, I didn't think so. I did not think that a mature doe mule deer was on the diet. For a, for a coyote, and I watched, I was elk hunting, guiding elk hunters, and we watched a pair of coyotes run a mature doe mule deer down and kill her just with ease, and I, I was stunned. I did not know that a coyote could take a mature deer down like that, and and so I like to hunt my deer hunters. Uh, I like to find those coyotes that are hunting deer, and those are the ones, if you'll take those, you know, I don't... 75% of a coyote's diet, small ground-dwelling mammals. But you get back into Pennsylvania, they did a uh, study on the, the uh, coyote poop, you know, to break it down. What's the number one prominent thing? In Pennsylvania, the number one thing in coyote poop is white-tailed deer. No kidding. So, you know, in different sections of the country, uh, deer are predominant or the number one food source for these coyotes. So those are the coyotes we want to hammer is those coyotes that are out there eating your deer. 
Gotcha. It makes sense. All right. right. That you. makes sense. I'm going to turn it over to, to uh, Dusty and Jim in a little bit with some any questions that they have. But I want to just going to get into the beginner setup. Um, what okay. what types of things, if I'm brand new, and I've gone coyote hunting. I'm, I'm not a good coyote hunter by any means. I want to be better because I want to be a better deer hunter. And I want our herd in my area to grow. And it seems like the, I, for every 10 deer I have on a game camera, I've got it two coyotes. And it's not... Not, I don't like that balance. Um, right. And what we've done before, we've hunted over bait. We've done the whole, you know, register the bait site with with fish and game and get landowner permission. We do all that. Right. But there's something missing because we don't have coyotes. The only coyotes I've ever shot at were on a deer hunt that were had right. nothing to do with my coyote plan. So hmm. as a beginner, where where do you begin? Where do you begin? Where do you start with coyote hunting? The best place to hunt a coyote is where you see them. So if you're on your uncle's place, you got permission to hunt deer, you're seeing them during the fall when you're up in your tree stand. You're seeing the deer come by or the coyotes come by with the deer, and, and that's a great place to start. Then get on the ground, find their tracks, find their scat. Try to f- locate where these coyotes are spending a lot of time on the areas that you're allowed to hunt. Once you've established where that is, then formulate a game plan as to how you want to try and call these coyotes in. And the number one way to kill a coyote is to call him in. He's a predator. He's going to hear, when he hears an animal in distress, it's like saying, Big Al, we got free Big Macs on the corner. I'm going to try and elbow my way past you boys to get there first because I don't know how long those free Big Macs are going to last. And that's really what you're saying when you sit down with a good electronic game caller or a hand call that represents a dying rabbit, you can represent a dying bird, um, Something in distress. Um, in some areas, my number one go-to sound is house cat distress, kitten distress. They're eating these people's, you know, mm. uh, kittens, cats, things like that. Uh, chicken distress. If you're hunting around chicken farms, uh, there's a lot of people have chickens out in the country. Um, it's a really great sound around these farms and places that have chicken eaters, I call them. And so what you do is, is, is number one is you see a coyote. That's the best way. And then you can locate them through tracks, scat. I even drive around at night, use a coyote locator. Off the Fox Pro, I use a coyote group yip house. I will actually drive every two to three miles at night, and I will howl out the window. Sometimes I just use a siren. Have you ever heard a siren go through town and all the dogs are barking at it? Sure. Well, you can do the same thing with coyotes. You can drive around at night on these back roads, and, and a lot of the Midwest and some of the East Country is broke up every mile there's a road, you know. You drive, I'll go a mile and a half, two miles, set the Fox Pro out, I'll locate, I'll use the siren, I'll use the coyote locator sound, I'll use the coyote group yip out, and I'll listen to see how many coyotes answer. And if I can do that three or four nights in a row, I can about tell you how many coyotes you have living in an area. And then, so I know that they're on my uncle's place on one night, they're on the neighbor's the next night, you know, and after you do that a few times, a few weeks, um, and it's a commitment, it's a commitment to find out where these coyotes are living in your area, but you can actually start timing when they're on that piece of property, and that's when you want to be there blowing a distress call or vocalizing to them later in the year like it is now. And uh, the average guy, the other thing that I encourage people to do is go with somebody that's done it. Now, if that isn't an option for you, go online. Go to YouTube, go to our fur taker page. We've got five years of TV shows up there. You can see Al Morris, uh, Abner Drunkenmiller, Mike Dillon from Fox Pro calling in coyotes with these Fox Pro units with the Fox Pro sound. So you can watch me successfully call coyotes in on video. That will shortcut um, your learning curve. Now, typically what I do is I know where these coyotes are wanting to be. I've kind of gone out and located them. I know they're in the area. I think they're going to be on my uncle's place tonight or 
tomorrow during the day, first light. Uh, my favorite stand of the day, if I'm calling daytime, is the first stand of the day. My second favorite stand is the last stand of the day. But as long as it's below 64 degrees, um, I think I can call coyotes all day long. And uh, I will go out there, uh, set the unit out in a, in a field. I want to get these coyotes to poke out of these hardwood uh, dense areas. If I think they're hunting these pasture lands where these does are having these fawns, um, I'll set off. I'll set up in a in in an edge of brush or a tree line, and I'll put the collar typically 30 to 50 yards uh, out in front of me. I'll, I like to be downwind. I like the wind blowing from the collar to me. Sometimes that isn't an option. Uh, the wind isn't always our friend, but I'll do a good crosswind. And if I don't have any other choice, I will actually sit and watch my direct downwind because every coyote is going to use their nose to get downwind and smell what that sound is. Uh, they think it's a rabbit. It sounds like a dying rabbit, but they need, if they smell it, they can confirm it. And if they've also, if they've ever been hunted, they'll also be smelling to see if there's a human there. If they've ever had an experience where they came in, got shot at, um, chances are the next time they come to a call, they're going to circle further downwind to make sure that isn't a guy sitting there trying to call them in. So the beginner, um, get online, watch us hunt coyotes, go with somebody that knows how to set up for coyotes, but get you a good electronic call. Uh, we've got them in every price range from $79 up to $600. Uh, we got every price point covered for a guy to get into a good remote electronic collar. You can get 30, 50, 100. We've got a remotes now that you can go 500 yards away from the collar and set it out there. And, and those, those sounds, those rabbit distress, the bird distress, uh, like I said, September, October, November. Now those pups are born, uh, in last week, April, first week of May. By July, those pups are hunting for themselves. Hmm. By August, they're three quarter grown. So August, September, October is the largest population of coyotes that's going to be available. It's called the dispersal period. Mom and dad will actually kick those pups out of the den, site area. Um, they actually bite on them and chew on them because they don't want them hanging out because they know there's food there that they're going to need for the next year's pups. So they physically, you know, if they've had four to six, 12 pups, whatever it is, they kick them out. Now, if they're in a heavily pressured area, heavily hunted, heavily trapped, the reason we could, you know, we got rid of the wolves, we got rid of most of the bears. Um, the reason we could never get rid of the coyotes is because you could kill mom and dad, you could poison them, you could shoot them, you could do whatever. They would sometimes keep a uh, female pup around. So these guys were killing mom and dad. No, they had mom and dad killed, but that female pup was still growing. You know, she didn't get them all growed, but there'd be three or four of them survive with her. Mm. She'd feed them and, and bring them through. So coyotes are amazing survivors. Uh, the new the new hunter just needs to start studying coyotes in his area. Learn coyotes where you want to promote that deer herd to grow. Learn where those coyotes are hanging. Learn where they're hunting the deer. Learn where they're hunting the rabbits. Learn where they're hunting the quail. And if you'll get in there with some of these good Fox Pro sounds, I really think you're going to be successful. It's as easy as pushing a button and letting the coyote run to the collar. Now, it sounds simple, but uh, once you do it, once you have some success, it will possess you. It will take over your life, like eh, at least it did for me. Gotcha. Very nice. Um, it sounds like that technique about driving around and getting an idea where all the coyotes are hanging out in your area is something you can do in any part of the country at night with, with sounds. And it's not like you're you're hunting. You're just trying to locate. That sounds like a gr- great technique. It's, it's awesome. And if you do it several nights in a row, like the first night I'll do it as soon as it gets dark. And the next night I'll do it from uh, 10 to 2. And then the next night I'll do it from 3 to first light. Wow. And you can actually hear individuals and you'll actually start marking them, you know, two, three miles away from where you heard them the night before. And then you can start marking the loop. You can actually start And in the Midwest, Oklahoma, um, uh, Kansas, Nebraska, um, 
you, I've really had some great success marking these packs, marking these uh, dominant male and female. I mean, you'll hear that old male. He's got a way lower voice, and he's much more aggressive. And, and you can start marking where they're hanging and when, and you can anticipate where they're going to be, and then you can sit up ahead of them and call them in. Gotcha. I'm going to turn the mic over to Dusty Phillips right now, our co-host, because I know he's got a bunch of questions he wants to ask you, Al, and I'm going to go reload some of my questions, um, for, and then we'll get Jim on. Um, but Dusty, why don't you take Excellent. it? Yeah, absolutely. Al, what what say we go out for a, a coyote set on uh, on our property? How how long should we call uh, before we should give up on the success the success of the hunt? So, Dusty, I've kept a journal since I was uh, since nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. and seventy two percent of the coyotes I call come between three and seven minutes. Okay. Another twelve percent come between seven and twelve. So eighty some percent, almost ninety percent of the coyotes I'm calling come between three and twelve minutes. Now that being said, um, there are places in the country that I will stay longer. If I don't have a lot of sets to make during the day, if I'm only going to make two or three sets in a day, um, I'm going to stay twenty five, thirty minutes. Sometimes I'll stay forty five minutes to an hour because I want to make sure I'm there maximum amount of time and trying to maximize my potential to kill those coyotes. Now, if I'm hunting a world championship, I only stay 8 to 12 minutes and I move on. I'm making 25 stands in a day. Um, and if you're not making 25 stands a day, you won't beat me. Um, and that's a lot. I'm gonna, And I'm figuring on hitting on 50% of those stands. I'm going to call a coyote on 50% of those stands because I've done my homework. I know the coyotes are there. The densities are high. That's what I'm looking for. So every spot in the country is different. Texas is different than Canada, and you know California was way different than Vermont. But the and there's a lot of people get into this eastern coyote versus the western coyote. And this is one thing you heard it here first on on the Big Buck podcast: is coyote is a coyote is a coyote. And if you will just insert yourself into that that coyote's world, if you will figure out his poor home area, if you will figure out the miles. And what I'm finding out is coyotes in Pennsylvania, coyotes in Iowa, in Nebraska they'll be on a two, three-day loop. They will cover a country on a loop about two or three days. And uh, how much ground is that? It, it can be 640 acres. It can be 6,000. It can be 60,000 acres. Every place is different in the country, but those coyotes are on a loop. They're making a living through that country that they live in, and you've got to insert yourself there. So the place to start is 7 to 12 minutes. You should see them. Um, if you, if you've only got a couple stands to make in a day, why not stay 30 minutes to an hour and maximize your time on stand? Just to break that down a little bit. So if you, okay. So on the, on the, the calling distance, let's see here. Let's say you're, you're planning on staying for a 30 minute set. Do you call the whole time or do you, do you pulsate it in between? Break that down for us if you would. I see why you got him answering, asking questions. He's got, he's, he's, he's asking some good questions here. He's a deep um, thinker, Al. He's a deep thinker. So I, I can tell it's, yeah. he's, he's got some great questions that, that question is the number one thing that changes daily. Mm-hmm. So when I sit down, typically I will let the call go for 30 seconds. Okay. So if I'm playing lightning Jack, I will just let it play lightning Jack on medium to low volume. I don't want to shock the coyotes. I don't want to spook them. So I start out on low volume. I'll let it play for 30 seconds, and I shut it off. And Eddie Salter, who uh, one of the best turkey hunters in the country, I got to work with him when I was working for Hunter Specialties. Um, you know, silence kills as much as sound. And I really don't think people understand that statement very well because there's a rhythm to nature out there that you've got to insert yourself in and become part of. And there is a natural rhythm to a uh, rabbit in distress. Sometimes that rabbit will cry for a minute, minute and a half, two minutes solid. 
and then he'll catch his breath for a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, and then he'll do it again. Um, it can be a burden to stress. You need to figure out if it's a 30-second on, 30-second off, one minute on, one minute off, and I have seen it change from day to day. One day I was calling one minute on, one minute off, and the coyotes were running me over. The very next day, I did my one minute on, one minute off. Three stands later, I had not called a coyote in. I started running two minutes on, two minutes off, and I started getting the same response out of the coyotes that I had the day before. And then the next day after that, if I turned the caller off, they would not come. I had to leave it continually running. And I don't do that a lot. And I'll, sometimes, if I do that, I'll volume it up, get it loud, and volume it back down, and I'll kind of vary the volume. But I have seen days where you cannot turn that collar off. They will not come. And then I've seen days where all you've got to do is get 10, 15, 20 seconds of sound out, give them two or three, four minutes of silence, and then hit them 10, 15 seconds again, and then run your butt over. So it changes daily. You kind of got to play around with that time on, time off thing to figure out uh, what's going to work in your area. Typically, I'm 30 seconds on, a minute, minute and a half off, and then I'll do another 30 seconds. If that doesn't work, the next stand, I'll do one full minute, and then I'll do about a minute and a half, two minutes off, and then I'll do one full minute. And it only takes me a three or four stands in a day to I kind of listen to what's going on around me. I listen to the birds. I listen to the, you know, just the natural sounds going on. If it's a really loud day, if there's lots of birds making noise, I'm going to make noise. I want things, you know, squealing. I want, I want noise out there. If it's quiet, dead silent, nothing's making sound. Those days I've noticed less is better. So it's not always about volume and loudness. It's sometimes it's about subtle and, and quiet. And I can't teach you that. You got to go learn it. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. Okay, so now we've covered uh, how much we should call. When we walk into an area that we, we know there's coyotes there, how far of a visual should we be able to pick up uh, when we do a setup? How far do we need to be able to see to, to locate the coyote coming into the setup? Can you give so us So that, you know, regionally, uh, it was hard for a guy that lives out west. I, I love open sagebrush valleys where I can see... Actually, there's valleys I can see eight miles across. That's how far the valley is across. Now, I can't see coyotes coming from that far without optics, but I love being able to see them come forever. But then I got to Alabama, and the guy says, we're going to go call coyotes in here. And there was little openings inside all this dense hardwood. I thought, oh, my heck, how am I going to call these coyotes in in this really thick stuff? And what I found out is we all have visions of where we think we want to call coyotes to, but we all need to remember we need to call coyotes where the coyotes are. And if those coyotes are in dense, thick hardwoods, what I do is I put my collar 30 yards and I get downwind of it and I stand there with a shotgun and I will kill coyotes coming to that call through the hard the hardwoods with a shotgun. I've done it in tall sagebrush. There's sagebrush in Nevada that's 10, 12 feet tall, me and Garvin would actually stand on buckets with our Benelli's and shoot the coyotes when they ran by us at 10, 15, 20 yards. That's all we could see. And But they were so dense. The coyotes were so thick in there chasing rabbits that if we stood up on buckets with shotguns, we, we actually killed six in about three hours okay. in this really tall sagebrush. And so it doesn't matter. It, I really don't care where I hunt coyotes as long as I know the coyotes are there. That's the most important thing. Now, once the coyotes are there, you need to figure out how to kill them before they smell you or see you. And typically out west, I like to get elevation. I like to get up high and watch everything funnel into the collar that I've set out 50 to 100 yards away from me. Um, Back east and midwest, I'm finding that I'm setting up. uh, When I was in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, we were hunting food plots. 
and I would set the collar out in the food plots, and I would get downwind of it. And then I noticed that the coyotes were circling 100 yards uh, downwind of me. So we actually started, one of us would stay at the collar, and the other guy would go 150 yards downwind through the, the trees. And that, uh, that guy was doing most of the shooting. So I, it, you've, got to, you've got to dissect the area that you're at. The farther you can see, the better you can use those 22-250s, the 243s, the 223s, uh, the 25-06s. That's the great thing about predator calling is you can take the rifle you shoot deer with by a $12, $15, $16 hand call, and you're a wolfer. You are a predator caller. Um, and you can get her done with that setup. Now, if you want to get specialized, get you some shotguns, uh, get in tight with them, get in the thick cover. Get you a good fox pro and go to work on them. Yeah, it makes sense. So you're saying being a being able to read the layout and a stewardess of the land really helps on predator hunting. Oh yeah, no, and you got to have some woodsmen. I mean, there's no I, the 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 number one thing I was doing in Tennessee and some of that was these guys in Alabama too. They'd have food plots, and so what I would do is put the collar out in the middle of the. And some food plots are big, some are small. The one food plot was only 50 yards wide by 100 yards long. And I put the collar right out in the middle. And those coyotes wouldn't run out into the food plot, but they were coming to the edge of the hardwoods. And so as soon as I'd see a coyote, I was shooting him because he wasn't going to stay there long. He knew he knew it wasn't safe out in the opening. And so I just set up on the field adjacent to where I think those coyotes are living or where they're hunting those fawns. And then I try to just get them to poke their head out. I get them to come to the edge of a fence or out the edge of a field. And that's where you're going to shoot them. And as soon as you see them, shoot them. Don't, you know. Don't sit and think about it. Don't wonder if you want that coyote out of the population and, and don't miss. Uh, once you've educated him, you just made him twice as hard to kill. Now, it's not that we haven't killed coyotes that we've educated. It's just you have to change your technique up. You have to change your sound. If you were using a rabbit distress, he'll probably not come to the rabbit distress as willingly as he did last week when you missed him. Then you go to the bird distresses. Then you go to the specialized distresses like the kitten distress, the, the chicken distress, things like that. You got to mix that up, and then we can add vocalizations as the year progresses. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Decoy or no decoy? Um, that is a great question, too. Uh, foxes and, and, and bobcats 100% of the time use a decoy. And I'm real honest with people. Uh, I've got guys that tell me they use a decoy every time for coyotes. And my experience is about a 50-50 proposition. 50% of the time, the decoy helps you. And 50% of the time, it hurts you. Um, you just have to watch coyotes react to a decoy in your area. If the coyotes in your area like decoys and try to eat them every time, then yes, use them. If you see a coyote coming in and he sees the decoy, he was going to run you over, but he sees that decoy from 100, 150 yards away, inverts and leaves, I don't run the decoy the rest of the day. I've just learned that it's it's situational and it's regional. Um, in California, I was hunting coyotes in the vineyards, and uh, we put a decoy out there, and I literally watched three coyotes invert when they saw the decoy. They would have ran me over. I would have shotgunned all three of them, but at 150 yards, they saw that decoy wheeled and took off. They didn't know what it was. And then I've had coyotes sit there at a collar and try to eat it, and it's, it's just awesome when they respond well to it. It's terrible when they don't. So just know it's a 50-50 proposition. Would I have a decoy on my shockwave? I'd, I'd definitely have a Floss Jack 3 on my shockwave because there's days it'll work and then there's days I just leave it off. Gotcha. All right. Probably one of the most often asked questions, is it best to hunt coyotes in the day or the night? Well, you know, again, a lot of guys in Pennsylvania, uh, some of the, uh, Maryland, uh, places like that, they're all night hunters. Texas, man, they do a lot of night hunting. But my historical success is daytime. Uh, I think I'm better in the day. Uh, I like to see. I, at night, I can only see what's in that little little light. And now that Foxworld's got that fire eye, we've got the number one uh, 
uh, night hunting light out there on the market now. And, and uh, even with that fire, I, I have a hard time at night. Uh, I think I just see more in the day. I think that a good predator hunter learns to do both. And that's uh, if you can hunt them at night and it's legal in your area, uh, there's nights that are just off the charts, and then there's days that are off the charts. So if you, you know, if you're going to be a true predator hunter, you need to do both. All right. Is there a particular hour in the daylight that you feel that is the best prime time to hunt coyotes? The best, the best stand of the day, the best time to call a coyote is the first stand in the morning. But I've been up there where it's so cold. Uh, if it's in the single digits to uh, uh, minus temperatures, I've noticed that coyotes, it's too cold. They'll wait till. Uh, nine ten o'clock to get up stretch and start moving and uh, they like that just a little bit of you know a little bit of the edge off to uh, start their daily routine so there's times that that uh, midday to late day is better but uh, day in day out 365 days a year give me that first stand of the day those coyotes are on the move they're stretching they're you know they're 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 hungry if they didn't get anything the day before they've been two or three days without food um, it's a great time to have some sound out there going off because they are hungry. They want to eat. Very good, Jim. Yeah, to kind of pick up on that temperature thing, you had mentioned before uh, only hunting when it's less than 64 degrees. Uh, do they also slow down if it warms up? Yeah, I mean, once it gets above that 70, this week, uh, I just got back from Arizona two days ago, record high temperatures in southern Arizona. Now, those coyotes down there, they deal with 100 plus, 100 plus all the time. But we noticed as soon as it got to 70 degrees, they were done. They would not come to the call as good as they would before it got to 60 degrees. And so I've just noticed that the, the, the hotter it is, uh, the closer you need to be set up to that coyote to get him to come. Because if he's not close, he's not going to heat up coming to you. And then I've yet to find a temperature that was too cold. Uh, I really think that once it gets really cold, those coyotes like to move. They, they, they generate heat that way. And, and coyotes, they've got the legs. Um, They've got the ears, the nose, and the and the eyes, but uh, they've got the legs. They can really cover some country. And a lot of people don't, you know, some guys roll their eyes at this, but at Three Forks Ranch, USA, I, I groomed a snowmobile trail on some pretty soft snow. The next day I got on my snowmobile, I followed a single coyote 54 miles is what that coyote jogged the night before on that soft groomed trail. And now he'd stop and hunt around bushes and stuff like that, but I followed it. I got to follow the same coyote 54 miles in one. He tra- he traveled that in one night. Wow. So I've I've actually had wool. You know, guys have told me wolves have covered uh, twice that distance in one night. So uh, they're amazing animals. They cover a lot of distance, and and uh, uh, you can use that to your advantage sometimes. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Now uh, we did a story actually a few weeks ago on coyotes, and the one thing that I couldn't find in researching is uh, kind of an average. We talked a little bit about the effect they have on deer herds. Have you read anything that tells on an annual basis if they're in an area where they have deer, how many they may kill in a year? Um, there are places. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I just read. Um, they have, there, there's there's places 30 to 40% of their deer herd they think are going to coyotes. Um, oh. That's an astounding number. Um, even if it's only, and I tell these guys that are trying to grow these trophy whitetails, even if it's only 5 to 10% of your herd, uh, that's five to ten percent that I really don't think you want them eating. And if it, and if it's fawn predation, it's eighty percent of the fawns they're killing are the buck fawn. So it's an eighty twenty ratio. Uh, a lot of guys have does to spare. You know, it's it's getting that headgear, getting those bucks, and those are the ones we want to preserve. So I, exactly. I know that in places thirty percent plus are going to uh, coyote depredation. Wow, that that could be huge in that type of an area. Um, we were talking a little too, a little bit earlier too about the different kinds of calls, a howl versus a, um, 
distress call. And I've used calls myself and I've had some pretty good luck with the ones that kind of sequence out a howl and then some predator or some, uh, uh, distress calls. What's, what's the story you're trying to tell with that? Um, is it that if a coyote comes up on something and they kill it, do they howl then? Uh, do they howl maybe just before they kill it or when they're chasing something? You know, to me, I'm guessing there's some story you're trying to tell that coyote. What's the... Well, when you're calling, you're trying to create a scenario. Now, if you just pray to stress and you're creating a scenario, something's dying. Or something's in distress and it's easy. It's going to be easy pickings for that coyote. That's why he comes. When you start talking about howls, now they've done studies. There was a, a pen in Oregon that they had a bunch of elk in and, and they threw 30 some coyotes out there and and the, the gal from Oregon State put up 16 microphones around the uh, deal, and uh, they they determined there's 11 to 13 different vocalizations coyotes use to communicate, which is a pretty good for for coyotes. That you know, in most mammals, that's a pretty high uh, number of vocalizations that they it's can big determine. Vocabulary. Yeah, it is a big vocabulary, and most guys. Uh, won't understand the subtleties enough to do 13. You know, there's two of them so close, they don't know whether they call 11 or 13. They just did a study out of Utah State University up in Logan, and they said there's 11. They they said we can concretely say there's 11 vocalizations coyotes. Um, when I use, in the last three years, I've come on to a pattern that uh, if you get on YouTube, if you look at the last two years of video up in Canada, uh, uh, two years ago and then Canada last year, uh, look up the Alberta shows on YouTube, Fur Taker page. You will see me using my sequence, and the sequence is male coyote howl. Non, it's a non-aggressive howl. I do him. I let him howl two or three times, and then I do female. I answer him with a female yodel howl. Now I don't know what they're saying. It could be I love you, or I'm lonely, or I'm over here. I don't know what that howl saying. I just know it's non-aggressive. That's pretty good. Description. And then I yeah. Yeah. You know, is anybody out there? I think that's what they're saying. Coyotes are territorial. And here's the things you need to fire on. They got to eat. And my wife knew the way to my heart was through my stomach. She knew I loved good food and and we all got to eat. So never forget about the prey distress sound. But then they're so territorial and then they're going to breed, they're going to romance, and then they're protective. And if you will fire on all four of those cylinders, and it depends on the, you know, you want to lean towards one or the other, depending on the type of year, or the time of year. But um, that male howl, he'll howl two or three times. The female yodel, I let her howl two or three times in answer. Now, if I think there's a group of coyotes out there, if I'm not hunting a single individual, I will do some diaphragm non-aggressive howls to let them know there is a group of coyotes. Now, these coyotes are all going to go, what the... There's coyotes in our area, guys. You know, and if it's dominant male and female, immediately they will come to protect their core home area. If it's where they're going to grow their pups, they will come defend their territories to the death. Um, they do not want coyotes setting up in their territories. So you just want, uh, just by doing those single non-aggressive howls that are kind of a, a query as to is anybody out there, is, you know. And then whether they come or not to that one, the next thing I've been doing across the country, and it's been absolutely crazy to me, I will play platinum gray fox pup distress. There are gray fox throughout the United States of America. Now, I know there's no gray fox in the vineyards of California, or there was no gray fox up in Alberta, um, but through the Midwest, East, uh, Texas, uh, southern Arizona, New Mexico, places like that, there's a lot of gray fox. By playing that gray, if I howl and then I wait two or three minutes and then I'll play that gray fox pup distress continually for four to five minutes, volume and up, volume and down. 
Um, they herd the coyotes. They hear the gray fox. They don't know whether there's a fight. They don't know if these new coyotes in the area. They've got to come take a look. It's such a racket that they've just, I think coyotes are curious and protective of their core home areas. They'll come look at you. If they don't come then, I go in this time of year, I go into a coyote pup screams, which is a high pitched. When coyotes breed, they make these high, long pitches. Um, I've seen some video. There's some video online. Randy Anderson from Primos got a, a female getting bred. She did these long, high whines, and uh, and then Coyote Pup Distress 3. If you ever leave a stand and do not play Coyote Pup Distress 3 on a Fox Pro, you're out of your mind. It's I don't know what it is about that sound, but I have killed literally now hundreds of coyotes. Uh, I've, I've played everything in the book. I've thrown the kitchen sink at them, but I play that sound, and those coyotes show up trying to figure out who's in distress, who's fighting. It's an actual coyote that was in distress. He was in a cage. Every time they got near the coyote in the cage, he would do this you know, uh, coyote pup distress three, and I can play you some sounds if you guys want to hear it and give you some examples of these sounds I'm talking about. That's a great idea, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's get into that. that in a sec. That's the, that's the scenario, and uh, if you will start using variations of that scenario. Now, instead of gray fox pup distress, sometimes I do rabbit distress. Sometimes I do chicken distress. Sometimes I do house cat distress for four minutes straight. Um, it depends on the area. It depends on time of year. It depends on uh, where I'm hunting. But uh, non-aggressive howls into uh, coyote distress this time of year will get you some response. Do you have any luck in using uh, the sound of a something in distress that doesn't even exist in that area? And does that get their oh, curiosity? Oh, yeah, it, doesn't have, it does not have to be an endemic species. I mean, like, for example, in, in the vineyards of California, I was using snowshoe high pitch. We know there isn't any snowshoes for thousands of miles within the vineyards of California, but the snowshoe really worked well. Now, the flip side of that is I use pig distress all the time here in Utah. Um, there isn't any wild pigs. It's not like Texas or Oklahoma or places that have just tons of this. You know, the feral hog problem is just getting huge, and, and I really think in those areas it worked fantastic. But here in Utah, there is no feral swine whatsoever. But I use pig distress all the time with high success. Um, you know, back east, um, uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, I've used porcupine distress, uh, prairie dog distress. There is no prairie dogs back there. You know, there are woodchucks and things like that, and I think it mimics that pretty close. But um, there's no prairie dogs back east, and I use that sound all the time. Yeah, it's good to know. I live in Michigan, and I, you know, there's a limited number of things, but there's bobcats, uh, maybe in northern Michigan, not where I live. But uh, the sound, right. you know, I I think that's going to be golden, so I'm going to give that a try. Yeah, let's get it, let's get into some of the sounds that you use in the field, so we can get okay. an idea what they sound like. And, and this is, I'm assuming, is all relative to what you can find on a Fox Pro unit of some sort. Right. No, this you know that's what's great is we have over 400 sounds now, and you're not just married to Fox Pro sounds. I, I could. I got ACDC on this shockwave. I mean, we can we can play some <laughs> rock music if we need to. It's a great right. playback device. But gotcha. any MP3 file, wave file, if your uncle's a great hand caller, yeah. you can record him and put it on your Fox Pro and take him hunting with you anytime you want. Oh, no it's kidding. awesome. I did not yeah, know that so that had that capability. That's pretty neat. Yeah, you're not married to just Fox Pro sounds, but knowing that we have 400-plus sounds in our Real Animal Sound library yeah. uh, can give you some confidence. You can go onto our website. You can listen to those sounds. And it's, you can get like uh, four sounds for eight bucks, or eight bu- twelve sounds for eight bucks, or something like that. It's not real expensive, and you can just hook it up to your computer. We've got a, a loading program. You upload that loading program onto your uh, uh, computer, and you can transfer sounds back and forth. And it's awesome. Gotcha. So don't don't think you're just married to our sounds, but 
No, I mean, my number one sound, if you said, what's your number one sound, Al, this is it right here, lightning jack. That was an old uh, jackrabbit that was recorded in okay. Texas while there was lightning going on, so that's how he got his name. Gotcha, and wh- why is that your number one? Uh, it's just the number one. It's the first sound I ever turned a Fox Pro on and used and killed a coyote the first time I ever turned a Fox Pro on with it. Oh, wow. So I just developed a confidence with that sound. And uh, three weeks ago, I was in eastern New Mexico, almost just off the Texas border, and I went old school. I just started playing Lightning Jack for seven minutes and then Woodpecker for seven minutes, and we killed uh, nine coyotes on video in three days. Wow. Um, All right. You want to give us some, some other examples of sounds? Well, here's... 75% of what a coyote eat is small ground-dwelling mammals. Sounds like a vole. This is vole squeaks. And I mentioned prairie dog distress. This is prairie dog distress. My favorite cottontail sound is baby cottontail. This is eastern cottontail. I mentioned the woodpecker. This is the woodpecker sound. Wow. Coyote okay. pup screams. If we, if we, well, I can go through the, the howls now for real quick. Uh, sure. Male coyote howl. This is a non-aggressive coyote. I don't know what he's saying. I just know it's not aggressive. So I'll let him howl a couple more times, and then I always answer him with female yodel howl. This is a non-aggressive female coyote. I don't know. She could be saying, you're ugly. Your mama's funny looking. I don't know what she's saying. I just know that it really gets a good reaction. It works. And okay. then I'll I'll let those two howl. Then I go into, um, let me see if I can find, oh, here's platinum gray fox pup distress. It's one of my favorite sounds. And then I go to pup screams, which is this sound right here. Always go to Pump Distress 3, which is this sound. So, and those are all in the top 9, 10 of my favorites list on my Shockwave remote. And then I also throw in, this is with a diaphragm. And then I can also do some breathing. All those uh, estrus your chip chirps and estrus whimpers, and uh, this time of year is magic. Wow! A coyote hears a, I used to think the males would come in because I've sounded like a female that you know broadcasting herself. It's been shocking that the first coyote in are the females. They're coming in to chew on her. They're gonna kick her butt for broadcasting to her male. Really? Oh, interesting. It's awesome. Wow, that's cool. So. It, yeah, it just tells you a little about their personalities. Those coyotes will not tolerate some lady out there uh, projecting herself. It's kind of awesome. Very cool. I had a. I want to just backtrack on one thing. What okay. What's your favorite caliber for coyote hunting? And we touched on you can use your favorite deer hunting, but is there is there a good caliber that we should be considering? The twenty two two fifty is the quintessential coyote round. Okay. Um, you're good to five six hundred yards. Um, it's good close range. It's flat shooting. You put that 50-grain Superformance Hornady load out there that, that Hornady makes, you put that in a 22-250, it's going 4,000 foot a second out the muzzle. Um, it's just it's devastating on coyotes. I have yet to see a coyote that could tolerate it very very well. Okay. Um, 
It's just a magic caliber. But my second favorite is the 223. Um, it's readily available. I love shooting ARs. Uh, the guys in Pennsylvania said, we can't shoot ARs. I said, why? Why would you elect officials that would not let you have an AR-15 at your disposal to hunt with? I said, it sounds like you need to get rid of those elected officials and elect people that will let you. Now, we the people should decide what we use out in the field. Right. And so I say that to all your listeners out there. If you can't use a particular gun in your area, why? Uh, let's get rid of these mamby-pamby legislators and people that aren't working for us. I think Washington's forgot that they work for us. I think they and, forgot uh, so, that a while ago, yeah. Yeah, so I think we need to remind them sooner than later. Yep, that's, that's just my, that's all the political rants you'll get out yeah, of that We could probably talk about that for a very long time. but Days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, uh, I want to see if you had, uh, Jim or, or Dusty, do you have any other questions for Al before we turn them one. over? Yeah, one just still on the caliber thing. Um, in Michigan, we can only use a rimfire at night. What do you okay. think of a twenty-two mag versus a seventeen? The the go to the seventeen. That and there's a new rimfire seventeen. What's it called? The the magnum. The rimfire yeah, magnum seventeen. Yep. It's awesome. I I know it's good on coyotes out to three hundred yards. It'll do just fine. It's awesome. The twenty-two mag will work. I really like the seventeen HMR. Is a little light for coyotes. Good for fox. Uh, but if that's your only choices, use them, tear it up, you know, right. uh, get her done. That's what, that's what the law allows. I say again, you need to fire your game commission and tell them what's the difference. <laughs> Why can't you use a 22 Hornet or a 17 Hornet? Right. You know, it's, it's center fire, but it's, it's really not, you know, you're comparing apples to apples there and, and why wouldn't they let you use a, you know, a small center fire? That's you know? a good question. Yeah. Good question. Yep. Yep. Dusty, you got anything else, Ralph? Yeah, uh, let's get into a little bit of uh, camouflage and scent control. Tell us kind of what you use and where, and if you use any kind of scent control real quick. Well, for hunter specialties all those years, I had to spray down with the scent away spray and, and wash my clothes, and, and I think that helps. But, you know, when we smell a hamburger cooking, it's a hamburger. When a coyote smells it, it's two all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickled onions on a sesame seed bun, oh, and he that. can discern it that fast. I mean, so I've seen coyotes that even caught a hint of me and inverted and left. And then I've had coyotes hit that wall, that cone, and they just keep coming. It's like it didn't even phase them. So every coyote's experience is different. Um, the more you can do to eliminate a lot of scent, but, I mean, some of the guys I filmed with, Bill Cannon, some of these old wolfers, I mean, they smoked on every stand. <laughs> right. So... It was just, uh, to them, I think it was just they could watch the wind the whole time, and that's where they were looking. Um, so, you know, the more of that you can contain uh, scent-wise, I, I think you're just going to be better off. And, you know, I know you guys, being the big buck guys, have dissected that thoroughly. On That, that whitetail has a hell of a nose. Well, that coyote's probably even got a better nose, I think, than a whitetail. And if it helps you guys whitetail hunt, and if it gives you that confidence, and I've always told people that, if it gives you more confidence in the field, why the hell wouldn't you do it? Um, do that. Do those processes that you do for your whitetails on the coyotes because it can't hurt. And if it gives you more confidence in the field, I'm all about it. Yeah, it makes sense. Very nice. And then camouflage, I mean, you know, some of the old school guys, Jerry Blair, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video of a guy out west where he was in a Santa Claus suit. And uh, he had a 10-gauge that he affectionately named, uh, you know, uh, Moose Body Part. And uh, and he's in a Santa Claus suit killing coyotes with that shotgun. Uh, as long as you don't move, they live in a black and white world. But, uh, heck, you know, I've been using, I've used Realtree, I've used uh, Mossy Oak, and now we're in, in Cryptech. And I really think you can't, uh, covering your hands, covering your face, 
um, anything that would move, uh, coyotes see movement uh, more than they see shades of color. And it's the movement. You want to limit your movement. And uh, any of that stuff that helps gives you more confidence in the field. To go on a quick hunt with you, I want to know okay. where are we going on this hunt? Well, we can, you know, some of my favorite hunts. I'll, we just did a hunt in Vermont. Oh, wow. And I'd yeah. never... I, I'd never hunted Vermont, and uh, so these guys, they go, well, there's there's coyotes in this area. So we actually timed the hunt in June. Uh, I wanted to get the first cutting, and wow. uh, last year they had record uh, rains. So a bunch of guys couldn't get out in their fields to cut, so we were limited to where we could go. And uh, one of our first successful stands was on the edge of a cornfield, and the corn was only about six to eight inches tall. And so what I did is we worked down along the edge of this cornfield and we set the collar. I set the collar about 50, 60 yards out in the cornfield and we set up on the edge of it. And uh, I did male coyote howl. I played female yodel howl. And then I went into canine pups because it was June and, and canine pups too is what I played. And uh, this big old male, he just, he heard two coyotes in his area. Then he heard these pups in distress. And it's just, you know, it sounds like it's like two or three day old pups that they recorded. And you know how they just whimper and, you know, just made those puppy sounds. And this big old male walks out in the field 25 yards off the edge of that corn. He wasn't going to commit all the way out to the collar, but he walked 20 yards, 25 yards out in that uh, short corn stubble. And my buddy uh, Steve Dillon whacked him. And then we actually went to a field that had been bailed, uh, called another coyote into that uh, scenario. And shot him, and then uh, we actually saw a third coyote that day uh, driving. We drove past him, uh, knew he was in the edge of this field, uh, sat down and used those same sounds to get him to come out. I actually used a cottontail sound to uh, get that third coyote. And so we killed three coyotes in one day in Vermont. I'd never been there a day in my life. And it just proved to me that a coyote's a coyote's a coyote. And so um, I tell the, everyone that's listening to this podcast, learn the coyotes in your area. Find out where they're hanging. You can do it at night by howling. You can do it day visually. You see them deer hunting. You see them turkey hunting. You see them out there while you're working your food plots, while you're working the land. Um, even if you're just out scouting, putting uh, 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 trail cameras up. and see Your trail cameras will tell you where these coyotes are and what time they were there. That's a great piece of information. Use all that information. Put it all together. Pick your Pick your battles. Uh, pick where you can see or get in the thick stuff with shotguns. Get three or four of your buddies spread out. Um, I don't care where we go. It can be the thickest stuff you've ever seen, or it can be the most wide open. Uh, you could putt across it. Um, coyotes are where they live, and you have to figure out where they're living in your area. And as soon as you start to dissect some of that, your success rate's going to go up. Uh, we can shortcut that learning process on the YouTube channels and stuff like that. You can physically see us. Uh, the guys that are pretty successful, pretty regular at it, um, you can see how we do it. And I promise you guys, you'll be more successful, and, and that's how we go on a hunt, man. Very nice. All right, Al, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions I need to run by you, but I've, I've got, I want to get some details on where we can go to get some more information about the Fox Pro itself and what we can learn about that. But uh, would you entertain me with 10 rapid-fire questions here at the end? Fire away, man. All right, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Um, set yourself up for success. Um, you've got to set, your setup is critical. Now that setup can be tight, like I said, in hardwoods, or it can be wide open, but know the wind direction. Know that those coyotes are going to end up downwind and try to set yourself up for success knowing those conditions. 
Got It'll it. set yourself up. The setup is critical. Okay. We have these items that we carry in our backpack. Call them good luck charms. Call them whatever you want to call them. But it, we feel naked without them, and it drives us nuts if we accidentally leave them in the truck. What's that one thing for you? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a hand call that I've carried most of my life. Um, the, the batteries can die. The shockwave can die. The, the conditions can be terrible. I can pull this one hand call out, and uh, I can kill elk with it. I can kill coyotes. I've killed bears with it. Um, it's my magic call. Gotcha. Um, are there any books that you frequently hand out or recommend if you wanted to learn more about coyote hunting? Um, the best book to read is the one by Jerry Blair. Um, I wish I could think of a name, but I just blanked it. Um, but it, it's written by Jerry Blair. He's been a wolfer. Uh, he's still around. He's almost 80 years old now, and uh, it's just good stuff. Nice. All right. Very good. Um, how old are you now, Al? Uh, 49. I turned 50 in August. Okay. Well, happy pre-birthday, by the way. That's fantastic. Um oh. Knowing what you know today about everything, life, coyote hunting, deer hunting, all that, all the above, what would the 50-year-old Al tell the 25-year-old Al? Slow down and be patient. It will come. I used to think I could run everything down. Now that I'm older, I realize it will come in due time. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. You're you're at a convention, and you jump in a, the hotel elevator, and a stranger walks in, and you open up a conversation, and the asks, uh, what do you do for a living? What do you tell that guy? Tell that guy I'm a professional coyote hunter and elk killer, and, and uh, uh, be careful what you wish for. When you take what you love and make it your job, it can uh, make you wonder some days, but I uh, wouldn't trade places with anybody. i got the greatest job on the planet. You do have a cool job. I'll give you that. Um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, actually, uh, uh, just a bowl of uh, cornflakes and a banana. Cornflakes and a banana. Very nice. You get your own billboard. Can say anything you want it to say. What does it say? My own billboard. Um, dream big. Dream big. I like it. If you hear the word successful, who's the first person you think of and why? Um, my dad. He's been my hero. My uh, I lost him when he was 58 years old. He died of an abdominal aortic aneurysm, and, and uh, he came from nothing. He, he was the first one to graduate college from his family, and, and uh, he made life something out of nothing. I think uh, kids these days think that uh, everything should be handed to them. They, there's this entitlement out there, and, and I think that uh, my dad taught me to go earn it. I think we need to teach this generation of kids that are coming out of college now Go earn something. Yep. Be something. Do something. I'll give you that. He sounds like a very successful individual. I'll give you that one for sure. All right. What's a day in the life of Al Morris look like? You know, most days it's answering emails and, and uh, 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 technical questions, uh, talking to guys on radio shows. Uh, <laughs> if I'm out, if I'm out hunting, um, it's up uh, two or three hours for light. Uh, for every day you see us on fur takers hunting. You didn't see the three or four days we scouted. Um, I made up with it. Uh, you got to do the work, and doing the work's getting out there, finding where those coyotes are living. Uh, I'd never been to Vermont, but I went howling that night. Everybody else was sleeping in the motel room. I was uh, I was out uh, howling and trying to get her done, and and uh, work harder, uh, sleep less, and you'll be more successful. Nice. And I was going to ask you, what's a, a a coyote hunting day in the life of Al Morris? But I think you just touched on that one. So very good. Well, uh, okay, so tell us how we can learn more about this Fox Pro. All my buddies that coyote hunt who are being successful, and, and I'm looking at all the, the yotes they're killing, I'm getting none. They're saying it's because of the Fox Pro. Why is that, and where can we learn more about it? Well, 
Well, the Foxborough has the number one sounds on the planet. We are the number one game callers. When when you lay your hard-earned Benjamins down for a caller, you want to know what's going to do the job. And I don't care whether it's our $99 caller or our $699 caller. Um, the Foxborough will get her done. We have the number one sound library. We're made in America by hardworking Americans. Uh, we've brought all the processes we can back to the States to uh, ensure we have more quality control. And uh, go to gofoxpro.com. Um, that's where it all begins, G-O-F-O-X-P-R-O.com. Uh, we've got a, an awesome website there that can link you to places, uh, partners. Uh, it'll show you that we're partnered up with Ruger, Hornady, uh, U.S. Optics, Bogpod. Um, uh, there are several partners there that will help you. You can see the rigs we're using. You can go onto our YouTube page, Fur Taker YouTube page. We're on the Outdoor Channel every Thursday. In fact, uh, as I look at the clock right now, Fur Takers is... It's 5 o'clock here, 7 o'clock back east, and Fur Takers is on. you got 10 more minutes to catch Fur Takers on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, we are the only full-time predator hunting show on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, everybody else is hunting deer and, and fun things like that on the Outdoor Channel. We're hunting predators that eat those deer, too, and, and we're trying to outsmart the, 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 the hunters, and, and that's what we do. And You can go to the Fur Taker page, YouTube page. We've got five years of the, the last five years of our television show up there. Uh, you can look at all these episodes. You can you can see me doing some crazy things. Uh, uh, the guy kind of embarrasses me sometimes, but man, I love what I do. I have a lot of fun doing it, and it'll shortcut you guys can uh, shortcut shortcut the learning curve just by watching us do what we do best. Well, I appreciate that, Al. It's very helpful. And, uh, and Dusty, Jim, any parting questions for Al? No, I think that uh, Al covered a whole vocabulary of coyote right there. Well, yeah, apparently, we need to do it again. We need to do it again, boys, because uh, we can do this for another hour, and uh, you guys can come up with some more questions as you get out there and do it and uh, have some people call in with their questions. We can answer their questions. We'll do it again, man. I would love to do a part two with you, Al, very soon, because this is the type of year that, or time of year, I feel like we're, we should be getting out and, and doing more of that instead of deer hunting, of course. Um, so I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to entertain the idea of a part two very soon, because I think we're going to get a lot of questions. Absolutely. And here's the deal. If you just get out and get one coyote off your place, you're saving two to three fawns. Those two to three fawns that you save with the one coyote that you go out on your place and get could be in four years that giant booner that you've been dreaming about growing. So get out there and get her done. That's the fur taker model. Stay after them, boys. And it's sure been fun being with you, and we'll do it again. Thanks for being on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. You bet, man. I'm ready to go order a Fox Pro right now, get out in the woods, and I may just go hunting anyway without a Fox Pro with whatever thing I can find, whatever call I can find. It just, the whole methodology that Al brought to the table gives me some techniques that I've never used for coyote hunting. Yeah, very educational yeah. show. And all the things that I was doing, I probably don't need to. Right, I, I couldn't agree more, you know. I think that he took away some of the mistakes that I've been making. Yes, same here. Kind of set set the the whole ground straight, so I know now where to begin. I'm just going to start from scratch. And I'm going to start with that road technique, and I'm also not going to worry about long distance stuff. You got to find where they are, go in after them, and get the call going. It's pretty. It's that easy. And I love the road technique. Blew me away. That's kind of like what we do for turkeys. Sometimes when we're trying to locate turkeys in, in the evening or even in the morning. Same yep. kind of methodology, and it works. So I'm going to start a approaching it that way i think that's that's the the sound way to begin this whole adventure right it uh the the whole scenario relates a lot to turkey hunting yep i agree so do we have a, a chubby times tip of the week yeah we do have a chubby times tip of the week jay 
The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morris's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morrisessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morris's Sporting Goods. If you're out there uh, getting ready to shed hunt, you know, definitely... Pay attention to your fence rows, fence row crossings. Where they're jumping the fences at, that jar, it definitely is uh, the more likelihood of an antler dropping on that down pressure jar of defense jump. And also, I'm going to throw in there maybe a double tip, is that for some reason around here in Ohio, that where the deer are crossing the roads at, the hard pavements jar the antlers loose. And it seems like once they cross the road, 30, 50 yards into the fields is where they're dropping the antlers. I don't know the, the math behind the, the pressure of the asphalt hitting the, the hoof, but it seems like it uh, increases the, the antler drop as they cross the road. Very cool, man. I like that. Excellent Chubby Tines Tip of the Week, Dusty. That was fantastic. Thanks to Al Morris for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. We mixed it up a little bit this week and talked coyote hunting. Thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Parker Maloney for doing some of our sound and audio. Thanks to Morse's Sporting Goods and the Eurohanger for sponsoring this show. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out on the mic with me? Well, I, I think you're going to find me in, in uh, Coyote Woods here real soon, Jay. But uh, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can also shoot me an email right here at Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. And if uh, you want to look me up on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? All right. The best way to reach me individually is Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. That's my email address. You, you can always give us a call at 724-613-2825. If you have any ideas for the show, if you have any ideas for the, the, the news or a news clip that really needs to be brought to, to light, uh, that's a great way to reach us. Just leave us a message if we don't pick up. Uh, you can visit us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. Instagram is instagram.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. If you'd like to get your photo, your picture of your Big Buck featured on the Big Buck Registry Wall of Fame, our Facebook page, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and all the instructions will be right there. If you are an up-and-coming outdoor Facebook page and you want to get a share for share, just go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash S4S, the letter S, the number four, and the letter S. If you love this show and you're on iTunes, would you please leave us a review and subscribe to this show if you're listening on any kind of Apple device? And if you wouldn't mind, if you are a frequent listener of the show and you like this content, if you like the programming that you're hearing today that Dusty and I are doing for you, and we will continue to bring you every single week, week in, week out. You can always get it for free. But if you have a couple bucks to donate to the cause to keep this message of hunting going forward, that hunting is good and that there are good things that come from hunting, we're constantly trying to promote that message. That's why we're here. And if you could, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate, and you'll see our Patreon. You can become a patron. We actually have a few different categories and levels of participation, anywhere from a dollar to $25 a month. Whatever you want to do, whatever you can afford, we would greatly appreciate it. Oh, Dusty, I think that is a show. Man, what a whole lot of big bucks there, Jay. Yes, and a whole lot of coyotes this week, and I can't wait for part two. Yeah, thanks to Jim Keller for joining us on the show today. And, uh, it's always nice to talk with Jim for a little bit. And uh, Jay, I think that's a wrap, bro. 
That's a wrap, brother. Big buck, big buck, everywhere a big buck. I'm Dusty Phillips. I'm Jay Scott. And this is another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.